This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to another Dojo Live. Today is Wednesday, July 8th. 2020. I am Tulio Sergusa, broadcasting from Los Angeles, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Kim Lantis in Hermosillo, Mexico, Hello. and Carlos Ponce, just outside of Mexico City. Welcome, guys. Looking forward to another chat today with an interesting guest. We have Alex Asher, who is the CEO of LearnCube. Welcome, Alex. And I know you're chiming in from London, so thanks for staying up a little later with us. We'll so hope to make it worth your time. Uh, Alex, uh, please introduce yourself to the audience. Uh, let us know what, what Alex is all about. Sure. So, look, my name's Alex Asher. I'm the CEO of LearnCube. We actually specialize in solutions for particularly language schools and tutoring companies. And the thing that we're most known for is our virtual classroom, uh, which is obviously a very important uh, tool for educators at the moment to be able to... Uh, interact with their students and, and really ensure that the, the education online and at a distance is as good as it is in person. So we work with companies such as Babbel and ABA English and we have partnerships with Oxford University Press for content and we've really been uh, specialized in this segment for the last five years. We are registered in the UK and London, so that's kind of uh, why I'm here. Uh, but we are a fully remote team and actually actually uh, passed a, a pretty cool milestone recently of 100 million minutes delivered um, during during our time around. So, yeah, we're very devoted to education, to online education, and our virtual classroom is certainly something to watch and probably second to none. So it's an exciting time for us. Absolutely, Alex. Uh, it sounds like the timing for all that is very, uh, uh, very good for your business. And we'll go into that in just a little bit. Tell us a little bit about Alex, uh, a little bit about your background, anything interesting that you'd like the audience to know about you. Yeah, sure. So um, I guess, you know, the fact that I'm in language learning is probably no surprise. I speak German and, and Spanish fairly fluently, uh, but probably learned more over a pint of beer than uh, in the classroom. Um, one sort of more, I guess, intrepid, interesting fact is uh, I've done two trips um, up and down the uh, the coastline of New Zealand. So I actually ran, well, actually, I think I'm still the only one that's run around the entire North Island of New Zealand, which is actually a pretty big place. Uh, going down, it was 2,300 kilometers, um, and going up uh, six years later was about, I think about 1700 and I crossed one of the the largest harbors in the world swimming across that so that was a that was a pretty big effort wow that that is impressive uh that is absolutely impressive I, I was just thinking like oh 100 million minutes and I was like I was what? tired just listening to it uh Kim uh, let's let's introduce the show today what's the topic for today let's go right into it Sure. Thank you, Tulio. So the title of today's topic is The Disrupted Future of Education. So we're going to be talking about the challenges, opportunities, and ripple effects for educators and entrepreneurs during this once-in-a-generation crisis, meaning the COVID-19 crisis, correct? Yeah. So Alex, why don't you go ahead, if you could approach, maybe we want to talk about this in the three sectors. What are the challenges right now? 
What do you see as the opportunity areas? And what's the long-term effect or the ripple effects for everything that's going on? So um, before this all sort of cracked on, I was, I mean, I'm actually co-writing a, a book on the future of online language education. Again, um, something that I'm really interested in. And so I've been having these really interesting conversations for quite some time and, and certainly well before COVID-19. And before this all kicked off, there were already trends that were quite obvious in the language sector. And actually, I think in education in particular, and those kind of trends have, and I, I don't think I'm the only one to say this as well, but it's really that these trends have been accelerated more than ever uh, at the moment, rather than them being completely new trends. These are basically just everything on, on steroids. And what I mean by that is we were already seeing, certainly we were already seeing online education starting to flourish. Uh, my particular area is in the live online education space. So when there is actually uh, a human being on the other side of things, that's kind of where I fit in and that real-time communication piece. But we were already seeing that people really picking up that technology and really running with it. And actually to a point where we were noticing that access uh, was no longer the biggest problem to solve, but certainly more around the quality of online education was. Right. We were already noticing that in physical kind of education, uh, I mean, there's already been a, a lot of trends in terms of, hey, how can we introduce more technology that's helpful? How do we kind of... Um, build the technology, you know, how do we build our and educational environments to kind of fit, uh, you know, where, where the world's going. Um, and oh, some of the other trends that we were already observing was technology. When I say technology as well, like just the basic infrastructure of the internet was getting a lot better. So 5G is starting to emerge. Um, and, and so there's just a whole bunch of I guess, baseline technological improvements that were sort of there on, on the cusp of things. And what COVID-19 uh, has done has really brought education to bear on those improvements and it's kind of forced, and it's not just education, I think it's almost every segment. Every segment's had no other choice but to go online and it's really accelerated what might've taken you know, another five years. I mean, education's been pretty slow to the mark here uh to do that within just months and and i think what's interesting is the longer that we stay in this this point of disruption the longer and more permanent the kind of changes that we're seeing now are yeah. going to entrench themselves and i think like you're saying it might not be anything new it's just accelerated and i like this idea of opportunity areas particularly when it comes to online education and language learning but I think this applies to all other sectors, and that's this cross-cultural opportunities, right? Where yeah. technology allow, it makes the world a bigger place because I think it opens your eyes to things outside of your own immediate, you know, self. Yeah. But it also makes it a smaller place, right? Because it makes it accessible, and I think that's a great opportunity area. What types of is is, is this cross-cultural, not just in terms of language, but just interacting with people? whose background and life and culture and experiences are much different than your own, something that LearnCube focuses on? Yeah, so we focus purely on the live teaching component, live instruction, live training. A lot of people call it whatever they want to call it. But in the end, it's, it's this idea that there's a teacher or somebody that's in charge of 
facilitating that learning uh, and either a student or even groups of students joining together. So that's the area that we really focus on and really understand. And actually, maybe I'll talk more to that. Otherwise, we kind of talk in generalizations and that may not be as helpful. Maybe people listening in can kind of draw their own conclusions. But one thing that's um, been quite obvious is on the in terms of being able to teach in person um, and teach online, the advantages between those two are, are, or the difference is getting smaller and smaller. Like we can build rapport, we can create great activities, we can create um, great experiences online just as we can in person. And in fact, mm -hmm. I think at the moment, the baseline of people's knowledge of how to use these tools is still very low. So we're only at the very cusp of people being really creative and showing real mastery with some of the technological tools. And technology isn't gonna make up for a bad teacher, but a good teacher with a real good command of the technology, man, that's such a good combination. And then you also have the benefits of convenience, the fact that even when you have this massive spread where you've got maybe lots of people that need to speak English as an example, and lots of people that are able to teach it, but they're not in the same country or same continent even, uh, that online sort of bridge, I think is gonna be really, really relevant. Um, so I think those are some things that are already things that I'd be excited about. And I think this is also gonna spur a huge amount of creativity um, because a whole bunch of people that are, are fresh with new perspectives and, and are not just focused on how can I automate this so everything is completely the same. And, and, and actually, and sometimes it can be quite regressive when you talk about education. It could be quite regressive if we just go one size fits all. Right. Uh, when actually most education is going to how do we personalize this? How do we make this a more relevant experience? So I think we're going to see some real excitement. Um, do you have any immediate examples that come to your mind of your educators using creativity online? Yeah, so um, I don't want to just talk on, on the sort of learn cube side of things, but I think there's going to be relevance in both. So first right. of all, we, we're already seeing finally people properly uh, blending two approaches. So for, in our case, you know, Babbel really focused on self-study, really focused on delivering a really great experience where students are doing their own work, but then blending that with some live tuition as well. Um, and actually, I felt that really firsthand myself, you know, feeling like I was going a lot better when I was playing the games on, on say, Duolingo or, or Babel or, or an app, and then actually being in front of a teacher, I was like, whoa, okay, this is a very different experience. So combining those two finally and streamlining that experience, I think, already an innovation in itself. But in terms of the actual live classroom experience, I think we're only just seeing this you know, the start of that, and, and let's give some more examples. Um, a lot of the time in education, you're seeing a real monotonous kind of vision of education. It's gonna look like this. You're gonna follow these steps. Even when people talk about different paths, I mean, AI, with few exceptions, is still, it's helpful, but it still, still really feels like you're really part of a group at best. It's not really giving me the the level of personalization I think we really kind of see as the kind of end result of, of, of AI. Um, but when um, some other examples of that is just where you are making it really streamlined for people to get both personalized 
support and also be able to maybe for economic reasons also be part of say a group class and then also have a self-paced course that's really complementing that and making that a really cohesive experience. So I think there's a lot of innovation just in creating a more cohesive experience as well in education. And then plus that, look, teachers are super clever. They come up with all sorts of crazy ways of making our technology, other people's technology better. So uh, I think you'll see more of that. So Alex, um, I totally understand and get the technology advancements are making this possible. When it comes to disruption, it's obvious trying to get people to change what they've built years and that's gotten used to doing is, is a big challenge. That's, that's just how software companies operate yeah. in this case, um, moving people away from a model that, that is the traditional model of classrooms and live uh, lectures is, is something that ha unless uh, without this crisis would not have probably been as accelerated as quickly. Yeah. Um, so the disruption has been forced here, not through education, but literally through absolute need. Um, now, what a lot of people are realizing, to your point, is, wow, this actually is uh, is kind of pretty good. Like this, didn't, it's not just something we have to do because we have to. It kind of works to our, to our advantage for many reasons. Yeah. What are some of the tools that you think will enhance the ability, for example, to support special needs students? Right. So. In a live classroom, you might have certain students need a little longer time to take a test or read a book. And there's advocacy programs for that kind of initiative, but it's a hard thing to maintain and to manage for teachers. Having this technology readily available, does it enable better uh, ability to support those kinds of students that need learning at a different pace? What's your thinking there in terms of how this can go to the next level in terms of actually improving lives and the quality of education? What are your thinking there? I think there's two parts of that, um, and they kind of go hand in hand. So one is just the baseline technology. So applications just getting a lot better um, for a start. Um, there's more investment and kind of manpower and just innovation being thrown in, into the sector. So I think the technology is A, a lot more reliable, but I think I'm going to touch base again on this idea of it being a really seamless experience. So I think that seems to be one of the biggest hurdles at the moment is that there's probably technology that can do all of these different use cases, but there seems to be a lack of cohesion in the tools themselves. So I think that will improve and, and, and just you kind of gave a, an ex example with somebody that might have some particular and needs. So you probably will have the technology starting to be become more like building blocks. And so you'll you'll be able to add those tools that help those particular needs. And then I do think that AI over time will get much better and it'll probably start rather than replacing the teacher at all, which I don't think is likely to happen anytime uh, really soon. But the teacher will be basically prompted and then can actually train the AI on what the teacher finds helpful in a particular use case. Uh, so then again, you can create that seamlessness. So when 
when things are quite disjointed, that's where I think things are breaking down and then people go, oh, it's better to do it in person. I think as we create a more fluid experience online, then I can really see some some benefits and some really um, really big improvements for people of any needs um, getting what they need at the right time. That seems to be the big thing. How do we get the right tool uh, at the right time? And I think, as I said, AI-based technology and then even user interface getting a lot better and faster and, and so, much more reactive. From my perspective, there's also even going further back, and that's beginning with the internet service providers themselves. <laughs> this is something that we experience as a team and as a company, particularly right now at Nearsoft. The majority of our people are located in the country of Mexico, which okay. is still a developing nation. And even while all of us have easy access to internet relatively the quality of the internet that we're able to access varies greatly, right? There's this constant, you're breaking up, can you hear me? Or, oh, my internet failed today, we're gonna have to meet tomorrow, et cetera, et cetera. So do you have these types of conversations or is there any push from you or other online educators who are trying to coordinate with ISPs to make sure that that's a solid foundation? Good question. Um, it's, it's sort of like screaming into a black hole, to be fair. If you're like a provider like us, trying to get an ISP to change something, it's like, which one would we start with? So right. to be quite honest, I think unless you're at the biggest level, it seems yeah. less likely. Is this likely. something that you find? I don't know who your clientele is, but my assumption is that a lot of the people who are wanting to learn English are also coming from other developing nations. Yeah. So, so is, is, yeah. This is, is what I can talk, talk to you about, okay. though, is internet infrastructure will work itself out because it has to. It is like it is definitely becoming the oxygen of countries and economies now more than ever. Right. Like if you've got a fast Internet connection, it, I mean, just think about traffic jams. That's why people build roads all the time. It's because they're like, or, you know, or trains or whatever it is, because it's all about how can we get more people through? How can we kind of increase the activity and it's the same thing with internet infrastructure so all the countries fortunately are really incentivized to get really fast internet what unfortunately you're seeing is big differences between and we notice it particularly since we're in uh, it's about live you're in live streaming we're in you know live video it has to be real time so the patchiness of internet really varies and that's the hard part is when we have a class that's disrupted, not because that person doesn't have fast internet, but because that person's internet just suddenly cut out. Like, I, I can't really tell what you're going to say in the next 10 seconds. So if there's a 10 second drop, like, we're out, and that's going to make it feel a really awkward experience. But the good thing is that 5G, I think, would have huge impacts. And that's a very much a coming soon, or if not, you know, very soon. And then the second thing is, for example, we use a technology called WebRTC, which is becoming more, more standard, and that's getting just better, more efficient all the time. So I think there are real improvements. And those aren't, that's happening at like a Microsoft, Twilio, you know, all of these large companies, they're all kind of working on that same kind of technology. So I think there is room for optimism with that. Yeah, but good um, point, Kim. You have to, you have to. Uh, with disruption, also comes the need for uh, infrastructure improvements, and it's just a necessity. Now, go ahead, Carlos. I know you had a question too. Yeah, thank you, Tulio. We're, um, Alex, we're talking about the disruptive future of education. I can um, easily uh, grasp the concept of disruption. 
in education as uh, because uh, as you, as we discussed earlier in our previous conversation uh, I'm also a, a language trainer uh, so that's easy for me to grasp but I what would you say to all these people all these folks who are um, who are not necessarily um, don't have a formal training in education or are not don't they don't even consider themselves as potential trainers or teachers of something but they could have they have like like they have they could have like a vast array of knowledge on a specific area that could be turned into information or 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 training or coaching or tutoring but what would you tell these folks who are not even aware that they can become trainers and adopt this and, and, and maybe adopt this technology to teach others how to do their thing how to become experts at what they do but are not like familiar with the technology world how what would you what would you tell these people to encourage them to become potential trainers tutors coaches you know things like that i think the key thing there is that there's no real access problem right like anyone can kind of put up their own street uh their own street sign and start start teaching and, and educating I think the first thing is maybe to test out the idea first um, and see if there's other people that are interested. As soon as you can see that there uh, is interest there, then I think the next thing is probably going to be an aspect of, I don't even know if you need, you might need formal training, like for example, for language education. I think you just benefit a lot from that. But if it's knowledge mm -hmm. transfer, I mean, there's already nothing really stopping you from doing that. But if, if you're actually talking about training, they're probably one of the most universal kind of uh, areas that I, I consider likely to continue to be be the way that people teach and train is more in like a coaching and facilitative kind of skill. So if somebody doesn't have any kind of knowledge or hasn't ever tried that, then that's even just a base skill set that I think people would always benefit no matter what they're trying to teach and train people on. Um, yeah, yeah, so that's so just on the, the teaching aspect though. Okay. So the platform itself isn't limited to licensed educators, right? Of course, of course, you may not join a classroom where someone doesn't have the credential as someone else does, right? Yeah. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. If, you know, you could say I can teach this stuff, but you've got someone else who's got better credentials, the likelihood of you being as successful, it really depends on you know how much you hustle. I suppose is it limited to uh, licensed educators? Where what's your target market for your your company for LearnQ? Who so are you going if, after? If this is for LearnQ, then we are specifically focusing on language education and and tutoring. Those are the two areas that we really excel with because it's all about trying to create the most interactive, participatory experience possible. Whereas a lot of uh, really just knowledge transfer kind of teaching, you can, you can kind of teach you know, hundreds of people and maybe a lot of those people are quite happily listening and it's just like, oh, I'm getting it and I'm feeling the buzz of this person's energy and that's great. But in, when you actually have to participate and, and interact, then that's the area that we kind of really excel in and I think that's the area we're going to stay very focused on. Uh, I mean, we also had to make a, a choice. You know, there's some very big uh, technology companies that are going to be very interested in education. Uh, I mean, we're not going to try and compete where we're, we're not at our strengths. So for us, 
And I think that's a good thing. It's a good thing for us. It's a good thing for the world. And it's a good thing for other segments as well, because then you're going to have people that do a really awesome job in their particular niches. And they're going to outcompete the, even the, the big players at, at kind of trying to go for the generic kind of solution. So I think that, that's how it, how it relates to me. Yeah, that really hit home with me several years ago now, I think. One of our, a good friend now of Carlos Ponce, one of our previous Dojo Live guests, Josie Ginsberg, actually. Mm -hmm. yeah. his, his philosophy is that the resources abound, right? All you have to do is find your niche. And I think that's what's important, what you were just saying with LearnCube, right? You're going to focus on, yes, it's a learning platform, but our focus is specifically language learning, English language learning. And if you can get amazing and excellent at great at what you do it, it opens up there's no need to compete with the whole world right find your niche i, I like yeah. that that's really beautiful and, and however uh in your tagline alex you're addressing you're, you're mentioning ripple effects for educators and entrepreneurs so you're also addressing entrepreneurs in your message what kind of entrepreneurs are you are, are we talking about here so i talk about education entrepreneurs so oh, okay. it's, a, it's a hard one to to kind of narrow down and just yeah, sorry, English is a little bit limited, but there are clearly teachers and you can call them educators, but they could be business owners. They could be teachers that are starting by themselves, but they, they could actually be running their own school or they could be like Babel. Okay. You know, they're an entrepreneur, I would say, in terms okay. of uh, gotcha. what they do. Perfect. Thank you. Interesting. Uh, well, we're coming up on time, surely. I would love to shift a little bit towards uh, understanding what's the journey been like for you building this business sure. and what makes the company an exciting place for people to want to work there. Can you tell us a little bit more about what's that been like for you? Yeah, so um, I started in 2017. Um, most of our customers by the end of 2017 were based in Europe. Um, I was based in New Zealand, so that was uh, pretty interesting in itself to be trying to serve people on literally the other side of the world. Uh, we you know, started out small and we, we still remain a, a bootstrap company, but we're actually a, a quite a decent sized team now. Uh, saying that though, we're all remote first. So our entire company is remote. None of, there is no kind of central office as such uh, by purpose <laughs> because we realized actually it would be really hard and and look there'll be people that have figured this out smarter than me but it seems like it's much harder to keep everyone in the loop when you've got some people on the inner circle on a, in a physical space and a lot of people on the uh, that are kind of outside of that in their own bubble in terms of communication feeling like they're part of a team and that kind of thing so we made a really deliberate um strategy to to focus on being being a remote first team and I, I think the, the, the key thing from a culture point of view has been the recruiting side of things. So all of the people that we've brought on board, uh, actually uh, a line that goes through, through underneath all of them is that they've all been entrepreneurs uh, at one stage or another. And we've actually found that to be a really critical component to both keeping us really kind of entrepreneurial and, 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 and really thinking ahead, but it also, Entrepreneurs typically are a lot more autonomous and uh, and get stuff done, you know, and, and they're, they're not, not, not afraid of kind of saying their opinions, but equally are a lot more respectful and open to other people's ideas. So from a cultural point of view, I'm, I'm really happy with where we're at, but equally, we're just going to keep on improving. And uh, I think everyone's really enjoying it. And since a lot of us are in European time zones, 
we'll also be able to spend time to actually meet together, but probably more on a social occasion rather than necessarily a business occasion. So once things uh, open up again, I'm looking forward to having one of our 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 uh, our team catch ups somewhere yeah. uh, in the world, which is going to be fun. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, an, so it's an interesting. We come together in a yeah. physical space together. Yeah, it's an interesting observation. That was an interesting observation about um, those who are in the physical location versus those that are remote. Having been remote most of my career, it, you sometimes feel like a second-class citizen, like you're not fully looped in. Yeah. And so you guys proactively leveled the playing field by basically making everyone remote. And it seems the whole world in the past three months has had to learn that too. So in some ways, COVID-19 has leveled the playing field for all those who work from over often feel like they're second class citizens. So kudos for doing that. Hopefully, you know, the forced approach becomes more of a standard in the coming years. It's been a pleasure to have you. We're, we're up on time. Uh, it, it would love to have you back sometime in the future, hear some more success stories. Uh, and, and hopefully wish you guys to be able to get together soon. We all will hope, hope to get together soon from these lockdowns and, and, and crises we're in. Carlos, we got another show coming up tomorrow. Yeah. Who do we One got more. tomorrow okay. again? Tomorrow we're going to be speaking with Jonathan Troughton, the CEO of Frameplay, and uh, we're going to be speaking about building trust and being an agent of change in the in-game advertising space which is the very nature of the core business of our, of our clients of our guests uh, company in-game advertising so that's tomorrow jonathan trouton uh frame play 1 p.m right here on dojo live thanks for joining us everyone have a safe rest of your week stay thank with you. us thank you Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com.